Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, we have been through so much over the past year and a half with COVID and climate change and political atmosphere and lots of other things going on. But what we've been through is pushing us to develop new and innovative ways of working together. What's been and has been, is being revealed is that we've had some quite dysfunctional ways of working together, largely based in the power objective. But Mike Robbins wants us to bring the, our whole selves to work, to develop a team culture of high performance, trust, and belonging, whereas the previous methodology only included the performance objective based in who had the most power. On this show, we will talk to Mike about how to the how-to of high performance based in trust and belonging. You're not going to want to miss this, so stay right here. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Good to be back. It's been a while, but uh, enjoy what you do. Really enjoy your show, and uh, nice to be back on to connect with you and everyone listening. Yes, and we're going to have a good time today talking about this. So I want to jump right in here. Uh, Let's talk first about what made you decide to go into this type of work where you're working with team cultures? What made you decide to do that? You know, so I've been doing this work for over 20 years now, Andrea, and I think when you and I first met, I had written my second book, which is called Be Yourself, Everyone Else Is Already Taken, which is all about authenticity. Um, And the first, you know, 10 years of my career writing and speaking and coaching were focused more specifically on kind of personal growth and development. Um, but what kept happening was I kept getting invited in to work with teams and organizations and big corporations, which w- was interesting and exciting, but kind of confusing to me because my background, I grew up here in California where I still live, um, and I was an athlete for most of my young life growing up. I played baseball, got drafted out of high school by the Yankees, didn't end up signing with the Yankees because I got a chance to play baseball in college at Stanford went to Stanford and then got drafted out of Stanford by the Kansas City Royals, did sign a pro contract at that time and went into the minor leagues as you do in pro baseball. Unfortunately, I got injured. I was a pitcher and I tore ligaments in my elbow my third season still in the minors. And after a series of surgeries, ended up having to retire from baseball, which was very disappointing, as you could imagine. But I had become really fascinated by a couple of things. One of the things I was fascinated by is it didn't always seem like the most talented people were the most successful and it didn't always seem like the most successful people were actually the happiest and most fulfilled. And I wanted to learn more about that for myself. I was disappointed that my career ended in baseball, but I was still pretty young. I was in my mid twenties and thought, I want to learn a little bit more about how to actually take any talent I might have in anything else besides baseball and see how I could turn it into success. And if I have any success in life, I'd love to actually more importantly, figure out how to be happy and fulfilled (laughs) which I never learned in school. I don't know about you. Um, yeah. But on the on the team and group side, I was also really fascinated by team and group dynamics because it wasn't always the most talented groups of individuals that necessarily made the best teams, even in sports. Mm-hmm. And I did get a job actually working in the tech world in the late 90s after my baseball career ended and before I started my 
consulting and, and coaching business that I've now been doing for a couple of decades. And I saw some similarities. Um, but over the last decade or so, the last two books in particular of the five that I've written, Bring Your Whole Self to Work, and then my most recent one, We're All in This Together, it's become abundantly clear to me that, you know, it's both really challenging, especially these days, even before COVID, but especially now during the pandemic, but it's super important for us to really shift the power structure, as you were sort of alluding to in your introduction of me in this conversation, to how do we really create environments that are more conducive for inclusion and connection and compassion and real collaboration with one another, because it's just the nature of the world that we live in. And a lot of the way that organizations are designed and the way that we think about work, a lot of the ideas are pretty dated and they don't really work in today's environment. That's right. They really don't. And, and, I think that maybe COVID is showing that. Are you seeing real change taking place in, in work cultures as a result of COVID, or is it, is it just we're becoming more aware of the problems? Well, it's a little bit of both, I would say. I mean, I think, look, look, it's been hard for so many of us. Look, whether you work for a big corporation, whether you work for a small company, or you work for the government, or you work for a nonprofit, or you work for yourself, um, I don't know anybody that hasn't been significantly impacted by COVID, particularly in their professional lives. Like the way that, especially last year when everything shut down in those first few months, except for people that were working in, you know, healthcare and other sort of essential businesses. But even for those folks, I mean, wow, heroic and incredible and stressful. I think now it's a bit of a mixed bag. Like, you know, we do a lot of work with, you know, technology companies in Silicon Valley and other places where people haven't gone back to the office in 18, 19 months. And we also work with a lot of folks that are either both essential or based on the nature of their work and where they work and where the company's located. They've been back at work or back in the office or trying to come back for a number of months. And I think what's become clear is there are a lot of flaws in the way that we've operated previous to this. There's a lot of stress in how we're having to operate and work now. And there's a lot of questions about what comes next in a post COVID world in terms of how we actually work and what matters. I mean, one thing that's abundantly clear, not just in the crisis of COVID, but across the board is that we have to do a better job of taking care of or focusing on people's mental and emotional well-being. That's always been important, but I don't think we really understood it until now. I can't tell you how many CEOs and executives, Andrea, I talk to, and they're like, whether we're talking about mental health and emotional well-being or we're talking about diversity and inclusion, the level of interest, curiosity, openness of, wow, I don't think we've ever really talked, talked about these things or thought about these things or really understood the necessity of addressing them. So I think we're kind of in the middle of a transformation right now, and I'm mostly optimistic about the direction that we're going, but I have some concerns at the same time. What are those concerns? I think that, um, look, one of the challenges of business and work of any kind, again, and in some cases, I mean, again, it's easy to go the big sort of evil corporations, but to be honest, people who run small businesses, I find are as stressed out, if not more stressed out and more challenged because in a small business, you have to wear multiple hats and yep. the reality of the bottom line in a small business is like literally hand to mouth, you know, and many people have lost their businesses during COVID. Um, and it's real and it's 
significant and it's scary. I think, though, what happens, whether it's a big corporation or a smaller organization or a very small, you know, independent business, the reality of life today and the economic reality takes precedent a lot of times over well-being, over inclusion, over culture, over a lot of these things that, you know, often over the years, my work is described as soft skills. And I often say, well, soft Mm -hmm. skills are hard. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just figuring out the balance of that. Because I think while we're in the middle of something, as we have been, although it's gone on for a long time and people are weary, there's a lot of openness and recognition. Oh, we have a problem. We have to address it. As we move through the problem, there's a tendency to kind of want to go back to business as usual and the nature of work is so busy and there are so many demands that a lot of times really thinking about structural and fundamental change, just like in our lives, let's be honest, right? We want to make a change, <laughs> something transformational. We go to a workshop or a retreat or we read a book or we listen to a radio show or something. It's like, oh, I got to work on that. And then it's like, and then the baby starts crying or something happens or you got to make dinner or, you know, all the realities of life show up. And then we just kind of get back to, I got to address what's on my calendar next. And so I'm concerned that, you know, we may miss the opportunity that's here and all the things that we've learned over the last year and a half, just in service of wanting this thing to be behind us, which I don't know anybody who doesn't because I I also don't know anybody who's not exhausted just going through this whole experience. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm getting it that you would think there would need to be an evolution in the old paradigm before we can build the work culture you want to build. Yeah, and look, some of it will be driven. I mean, the, as all the flaws that capitalism may have in it, it's, it's, the market does drive things. And what I've seen over the years is our organizations are open to change if they think it's going to, A, help them be more successful and effective in doing business, or B, it's going to minimize challenges to their business. So right now what we're dealing with and seeing, and it's just starting and it's going to continue, is this thing everyone's calling, calling the great resignation, which mm-hmm. means people are leaving their jobs. And the reason that's happening, number one, the economy for the most part, depending on the sector, is pretty good and strong. So the job market, people are getting called and getting recruited. Secondly, people are sick of working from home and just the grass is looking greener almost anywhere and everywhere else. So people are like, I've been stuck at home for a year and a half in front of my computer on Zoom. I might as well do that somewhere else. Maybe that'll make me more happy or more excited or at least give me a change. And then thirdly, I also think that there is a, at this time, a lot of people have been reflecting on what do I really want to do? What really turns me on, lights me up, inspires me and, you know, if we're not in survival mode or scarcity mode and there are opportunities, I think people are stepping into those opportunities, even though there's a lot of uncertainty. So I say all of that. I think a lot of companies and leaders inside of companies do realize changes have needed to be made and they've been made by necessity over COVID. But coming out of COVID, there's going to be a lot of reckoning that goes on in terms of how our work schedule set up. What do we do in terms of where people work and how people interact and communicate and that's going to be negotiated over the next few years, quite frankly. And it's going to vary depending on where you are in the country or the world, what type of organization you work inside of and sort of what people's needs are. And there'll be companies that'll just go completely virtual. There'll be companies that'll say, everyone has to come in back in the office 24-7 and that's the way we're going to do it. And then most companies are going to be somewhere in between. But I don't think the dust has settled yet enough for us to know where that's all going to shake out. And some of that's going to be driven if it stays 
a hot job market like it's been at least for a while, it's going to be driven by what employees really want. Uh-huh. And that's a shift by itself, isn't it? That it's driven by yeah. the employees instead of the management? Absolutely. I mean, look, management's ultimately going to have a lot of, you know, power and authority. And But again, it's kind of like a buyer's or a seller's market when the employees mm-hmm. and the talent pool really are in high demand as they are right now, they have more leverage. But yeah. that said, I mean, I remember back to the recession in 08 and 09, and I was saying to a lot of the companies I was just starting to consult with and work with at the time, look, be really mindful about how you treat your employees right now, because the economy is going to get better at some point. We're going to come out of this recession and people are going to remember how they were treated, even and especially when things got tough. And I think that's also been true during COVID. And a lot of the companies that we work with that have really strong cultures, the companies that have done what they've been able to do to take care of their employees, especially in those first few weeks and months, as things were really scary for most companies across the board, that did go a long way in terms of you know, a certain amount of loyalty and engagement. But I do think we just have to have more authentic conversations about this stuff. And I do think there's actually more of an openness for that to happen these days, um, especially in certain places and in certain organizations. And again, for better or worse, in a lot of cases, for better, people have options to go places. So if you work in a company or in a situation where it doesn't feel like you're getting well taken care of or the culture is conducive to what you want, the good news is you have options and you can go elsewhere. Yep. Yep. That is good news. Yes. So let's ex- let's explore a little bit about the work you actually do. Tell me what you mean by, or tell us all, please, what you mean by bringing your whole self to work. <laughs> well, I mean, it's really about showing up authentically, which is great <laughs> for us to be having this conversation on authentic living. It means, you know, bringing all of who we are to work. And look, the reality is it's important to acknowledge just saying that there's a certain amount of privilege that's involved in that. A, it's easier for some of us to bring our whole selves to work. It's easier for us to show up and feel like we can express ourselves and be ourselves. I mean, look, it depends on where you are in the country, in the world. It depends on if kind of you look like and act like and come from the background of what the norm is in the environment. But bringing our whole selves to work is really meaning that what we can do and we feel safe enough to and courageous enough to be able to, you know, speak up and disagree and admit we don't know something or made a mistake or we need some help or, you know, challenge some assumptions. I mean, there's a lot of aspects to being able to bring our whole selves to work. Um, and again, admittedly, and I've learned this even through writing this book and, and the books that I've written in recent years and doing the research, it is more challenging for some of us to do that and in some environments and some situations for sure. And it's important to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a part of the whole self, isn't it? It is, you know, and and one of the pieces of my work more recently too has been to look at privilege, which is a really kind of hot button topic these days. But Mm -hmm. I found a really interesting story online that to me epitomized it in a really beautiful way from a high school teacher who talked about how he teaches about privilege in his classroom to his high school students. Mm -hmm. He said, I give everyone a piece of scrap paper and I tell them to crumple it up in a ball and I put a garbage can in front of the class and I say, this garbage can represents making it whatever that means in our culture, success, fame, whatever you want. He said, I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to throw your little crumpled up piece of paper from your desk. They're sitting in rows into the can. And if you make it, yeah, you made it. If you miss, sorry, you didn't make it. And he said immediately, once he explains the activity, the kids in the back of the class or over to the side who are furthest away from the can start raising their hands saying, hold on, this isn't fair. And he says, yeah, look, everybody has a shot. Not everybody has the same shot. Yep. 
And he said, notice who's complaining the most, the people who have the toughest shot. And he said, those yeah. of you sitting right up front, your first thought probably wasn't, oh, I'm so lucky to be sitting up front. It was, how am I going to make this shot? Because it's not a slam dunk. You still have 10 feet or so. You've got to throw your ball. You may not make it into the can. And he said, I end the lesson by explaining that education is a privilege that not everybody has access to in the world. And we get to choose what we do with our privileges. And are we willing to help those who may have less privileges than we do? And when I read that, Andrea, it just really spoke to me on many levels. And I thought it takes it out of politics. It takes it out of some societal debate and just talks about it in more practical terms. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, when we're talking about authenticity or bringing our whole selves to work, it's also important to acknowledge that depending on our position, our role, where we find ourselves, what we look like, our background, our socioeconomic status, our age, our race, our gender, or all the different things that make us who we are, some of us are going to feel more comfortable and safer bringing our whole selves to work and others of us aren't. And those of us who may feel safer and more confident have a certain responsibility if we want to create an inclusive culture that's conducive to collaboration, creativity, performance, success for everybody, then we get to use whatever privilege we have to create that environment in whatever way we can. Absolutely. I love that, uh, that story too. That's, that's beautiful. It gave me goosebumps. It's, it's, a. Uh... It really is a practical way of looking at that whole paradigm of, of privilege. And, and uh, you know, I think that's really important when you have a diverse culture uh, yes. where people come from various privileges, privilege perspectives. And uh, yeah. people sitting in the back of the class are sitting in the same room with people that are sitting in the front of the class. Uh, only they're right. asked to do the same job and managed in the same way. And so that, that definitely has an impact on the culture of a, of a work environment. Totally. And look, privilege doesn't mean like silver spoon in our mouth. And, you know, I was raised single mom. We didn't have a lot of money. And when I first started hearing about privilege, I'm like, I didn't grow up in a privileged environment at all. And then right. as I started to look more deeply, it's like, oh, privilege can look a lot of different ways. And for us to acknowledge it doesn't discount any of our hard work or what we do or what it takes, but it's acknowledging that like life at work and just in our society, it's not a level playing field. We're not all starting at the same spot. That doesn't mean those of us who have more privilege than others need to be embarrassed about it. We just need to acknowledge it and own it. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, we're going to talk some more about this and, and, and more get into more depth with the kind of work that Mike does that helps companies all over the world to, to bring about a culture of trust and belonging and high performance. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss any of this. We'll be right back after this break. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. You have the power to be stronger, live fearlessly, and enjoy the benefits of a great life. 
Listen for Fearlessly Authentic with host Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody has proven at an age when many start to slow down that she is just getting started. With two grown daughters, a successful business that she started at 50, a finalist in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, and a two-time world bikini champion, she's ready to take you to the next level in your life. Fearlessly Authentic airs Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today to Mike Robbins, the author of We're All in This Together, and uh, about how to create a a team culture that is focused on high performance, but also trust and belonging. Hmm. So I want to ask about how, you know, you talk in the book about how family uh, impacts our work and our work culture. So, and I think that's so important. Uh, in my yeah. work, of course, we talk a lot about family backgrounds, but sure. that's not typically typical to talk about that when we when we're at work. So I want to hear what you have to say about that. Well, look, our first team in life is our family, and you know we learn a lot about leadership. We learn a lot about you know management and coaching and collaboration and communication and conflict resolution and you know getting things done and delegating tasks and competition. I mean, all the things that show up at work, you know, our first place where that shows up is it within our families. I mean, we learn more about it in school and in sports and in other activities as we go along. But I find when I work with teams and I work with leaders, I'm always fascinated to hear people's stories and just knowing things like where they're from and their birth order and just some of the dynamics within their family. Now, again, people don't show up at work necessarily. If they come and hire you, Andrea, they're, they're wanting psychotherapy. They're wanting to delve into some of that stuff, even if they may be a little bit resistant in the process initially. So it's always a, um, a, an interesting needle to thread. But at the same time, I find it really fascinating when I can get a leader or a team or a group really to open up and share some things about their background and their story and some of the key moments in their lives and some of the ways they were influenced by their family, because that is really enlightening. I mean, a lot of companies will do things like Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or StrengthsFinders or these other assessments, which are really personality assessments to try to, you know, highlight different aspects of how do you deal with stress and how do you deal with conflict and what do you, you know, but a lot of that, it maps back to, our family experience. So, you know, a lot of my work is really about creating safe enough spaces and environments where people can lower the waterline on the iceberg a little bit and get a little more real about what's going on. And the other part of family, family of origin, but there's also, there's an exercise that I do and I've been doing with teams for years and we've been doing it on Zoom for the last, you know, 18, 19 months, but in person prior to that is just giving people an opportunity in small groups if the group is large or in sort of one group, if it's small enough, 
for people to just repeat the phrase, if you really knew me, you'd know this about me, so that they can lower the waterline on that iceberg. And what's amazing is, even before COVID, but especially since, what people often share if they feel safe enough with their teammates and the people they work with is just some of the stress and challenge that's going on at home. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's aging parents or it's struggling teenagers or it's babies and toddlers or it's, you know, whatever it is, worrying about a spouse or a health challenge or whatever, it's, it's the stuff that's going on in people's real lives, not that their work isn't important. And in some cases, I work with a lot of people who are super passionate about their jobs and the work they do or their senior executives with a lot of responsibility or entrepreneurs or whatever they are. But at the end of the day, you know, the stuff that tends to matter most to us is about the people that we love and the people that we care about. And, you know, bringing that sense of humanity in that. And I do think one of the blessings of COVID has been as challenging as it's been being on Zoom or on video, whatever platform it is, and seeing people's kids and dogs and cats and apartments and houses and, you know, sitting in their sweatpants. And I mean, all this sort of there's a weird part that it's kind of humanized people in a way and a lot of senior leaders, especially that have done as good of a job as possible through this that I've talked to have really talked about prioritizing family and sharing even some of their own challenges that they're dealing with as it relates to COVID and working from home or people getting sick or the different aspects of what's going on. And that's a really important part of creating a strong culture of authenticity and one where people feel safe enough to bring their whole selves to work. Yes, absolutely. And I'm so, so glad to hear that you talk about that because I think it's just so huge. And we just don't even know sometimes how much of our, uh, our behavior, our thinking and our behavior comes from stuff we haven't resolved from old family issues. So, right. Well, and it's important to remember that again and, and without, you know, it's tricky again. If so you say you're a manager and you've got, you know, seven people on your team. On the one hand, you know, being super intrusive and nosy about somebody's life and family history, and you know, my, it's a little tricky. But if you know something about someone or you ask some open-ended but important questions about how they like to receive feedback or how they deal with stress or what happens when there's a conflict, you know, I mean, talking about it kind of in theory initially as you're getting to know someone or working with someone is really helpful and is insightful because again, I say to managers all the time, look, one of the best conversations you can have with everybody on your team is like, look, I want to support you. I want to encourage you, challenge you. I want you to be able to thrive in working for me and with me and as a part of this team what do I need to know about you in order to do that? Like, what are some things I can do that'll inspire you and excite you and engage you and motivate you? And what are some things I can do that'll really irritate you and stress you out and burden you and put pressure on you? Because I, I'm never going to be an expert on you, but you're the expert on you. So if you can teach me and train me, then I can be the best possible manager for you. You know, some version of that conversation, which actually isn't that hard of a conversation to have although it may be a little awkward or a little vulnerable to have at first if you're not used to having those kind of conversations with people at work. And on the flip side, I often say to people, because every person all the way up except for the CEO of a company, everybody has a manager or someone they report to or someone who, right? 
for the most part, if they're working inside of an organization, there's people who work for themselves or have sort of creative type of work that they do where they don't necessarily have a manager per se. But if you do report to somebody specifically, there's the flip side of that conversation is like, hey, um, proactively, here's how to motivate me. Here's how to inspire me. Here's how to get the most. Here's how to and also, here's, here's how to really demotivate me and stress me out, and just so you know, because yeah. I think the more open we are, the more willing we are to share about ourselves with one another, the easier it becomes for us to navigate the tricky aspects of being in relationship with one another. And these days, just given how stressed people are and how tired people are, and the fact that we're not in person as much, if at all, with the people that we work with, so we can't pick up on body language and mood and sort of the general vibe and energy. You know, if you walk into someone's office or you're sitting in a meeting and someone's really having a hard time or stressed out, you don't have to be super intuitive to know that. Like it's usually pretty obvious, but on zoom or on the phone or in an email, it's much harder to pick up on that. Yes. And we don't have as much unstructured time with each other these days as we did because of the pandemic. So we have to be that much more intentional when we connect with each other to not just get right down to business and get into the transactional thing, things we have to talk about to actually try to make a human connection with one another and see how people are doing. Yeah. 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 And that's all about creating some psychological safety. So say some more about psychological safety. That's a big issue. It really is. I mean, I think of psychological safety as group trust. Trust is more of a one-to-one phenomenon. You know, I can either trust you or not. You and I can have a trust issue and we have to work it out. But that's like, do I trust you? Do you trust me? Psychological safety is more about the trust that exists within the group. Like the group is safe enough for what? I can speak up. I can disagree. I can dissent. I can be different. I can have I can make a mistake and even fail, not that I want to, but it's safe. I know I'm not going to be shamed, ridiculed, kicked out of the group for doing things differently or kind of dissenting or kind of going off on my own. You know, there's, there's accountability and structure and stuff within a group, but that is super important. And there's a professor at Harvard Business School um, named Amy Edmondson who's done a ton of work and ton of research on this. Um, and her work was cited in a study that was done at Google a few years back called Project Aristotle, and they spent three years studying what are the necessary components for high-performing teams um, and took a very sort of scientific and database approach to this because they were trying to sort of, you know, hack into how do we create these conditions so all of our teams can perform at the highest level. And after three years of studying this, they came back and found that psychological safety was far and away the most important component for a team to perform at the highest level. And when I was talking to Karen May, who at the time was the head of learning and development at Google, who's a company we've been fortunate enough to partner with for 11 or so years now, I said, I asked Karen, I said, were you surprised by any of the findings from this study? And she said, you know, we weren't surprised that psychological safety was important, but we were surprised to find out how important it was. Like if a team has it, they have a chance to succeed, not a guarantee, but a chance. If they don't, it's almost impossible. And as I say to leaders all the time, the best way to influence and enhance the psychological safety of your team is for you to be willing to show up authentically and even vulnerably. Like you be willing to admit when you made a mistake or you don't know something or you screwed something up, you being able to share a little bit about your own fear and doubt and insecurity, like you being a real human 
who's not perfect because nobody is, actually gives everyone else permission to do the same. You being willing to ask for help, um, you being willing to acquiesce in certain situations and acknowledge someone else might be right about something, you don't have all the answers. All of those things that are just about, you know, sort of humility and humanity, as simple as they may seem on the surface, they're not always that easy. And particularly at work, most of us have a work persona that we've built over the years for survival, right? It's like, okay, I have to be this. And again, I was on a Zoom with a group yesterday and we were having this conversation and a woman brought this up and I appreciated it. And I hear this a lot. She's like, easy for you to talk about all this authenticity stuff, Mike, you're a man. It's different. You don't understand what it's like to be a woman. And my first response was, you're absolutely right. I have no idea what it's like to be a woman. I have no idea what it's like to be anybody but me, let alone another gender. Um, And we had a really important conversation about some of the challenges that exist for authenticity based on gender specifically we were talking about, but other aspects. And what we came to or what I said to her, look, again, I don't pretend to know what it's like to be you or anyone else, but I do know that all of us, irrespective of race or gender or background or age, or we all have a work persona. And we've created it based on our experience and based on what's happened and based on getting hurt and based on what we think we need to do to be successful. And just like we have a life persona, right? It's like we show up in life. But the goal, from my perspective, without being too Pollyanna about it or without being too naive about it, the goal is for me in my own work, in my own life, that whatever quote-unquote persona I may have, it's as close to, if not right on, who I actually am and what I actually think and how I actually feel. Because the more distance there is between who we really are and how we really feel and what we really think and then how we show up in life or at work, the more we're going to suffer. Yeah, absolutely. I can't agree more. And, and, but, you know, she, she has a good point in that all the differences, all the various diversities that are out there, uh, yep. the LGBTQ population, the, uh, oh, sure. Blacks, Asians, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, all of that, all of those differences have a kind of cultural persona that they mm-hmm. have to wear as well, that it, that there's a betrayal of the culture if you don't you don't do those things and and so there's this little voice nagging inside saying don't do that you can't do that right. and so you have to work against that to 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 focus on being more authentic especially in an environment where psychological safety is not necessarily created absolutely and and i think you know again acknowledging that being real about that understanding the way we internalize that. And look, it's challenging because then there's also, I mean, even intersectionality, if, you, if you're part of multiple groups, you know, even inside of an organization, it's, I say this a lot. It's like, I could say one thing, looking the way I look and being who I am. And I'm an external consultant who comes in. Someone else who could even look exactly the way that I look and have a sim- similar identity, but they say it, but based on their role or who they are in the organization, it, it sounds different. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, based on our gender, our race, our background, just saying something or doing something or engaging with something a certain way, it can be perceived very differently. So those are all things to take into consideration. And I often say this, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, Andrew, because you know, your show is on authentic living and a lot of your work is around authenticity. It's like, look, authenticity is a choice. I don't believe that living authentically means that I say hundred percent of what I think all the time in every situation. It's like, we can be discerning 
but instead of actually blaming it on the environment, well, I can't be authentic with him or with her in that situation or when I'm doing this, what do you want from me? It's I get to choose. And maybe there's times in life I choose not to be authentic because I don't know, I'm tired or I'm scared or I'm bored or I'm whatever. I just want to break or, you know, but again, at least it's a choice as opposed to a reaction. And I give my power away to saying I can't be authentic yeah. as opposed to I won't be authentic. I agree. I agree completely. That that gives you, what that does is make it a conscious decision that yeah. you're you're saying, okay, I'm going to play the old role here, and over here I'm going to be more authentic because that old role is safer right now, and I need well, to wear, wear that and, face and, right now. And sometimes it's about being uh, aware of the environment. I, one of the examples that I talk about a lot when I'm talking about leadership, I use the example of flying on an airplane. And even though I know we haven't been flying as much during COVID, but just like, you know, I fly a lot or at least did previous to all of this. And I don't particularly like when there's turbulence, but what I appreciate when there's turbulence is if the pilot comes on and says, hey, we're going to hit some bumps, like gives me some warning so I can prepare. Then as we're going through, it gives me a little update. Hey, you know, whoa, it's a little worse than we thought. Sorry, we're going to do to find some better air, you know, and then lets me know when it's over. Okay, we got through it. Sorry, that was a little bumpier than we thought. We'll do what we can to have it be smooth the rest of the way. Okay, to me, that's like, healthy, authentic, transparent communication leadership. What mm-hmm. I don't like is when they don't say anything. And then all of a sudden the right. bombs happen and it's like, what's happening? And I'm looking around, I'm looking at the flight attendants and going, okay, do they look stressed? Because if they're stressed, then I'll be even more stressed. And, or if they come on and try to downplay, oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. It's fine. We got it under control. And we're still in the bumps. And I'm like, it doesn't feel like they have it under control. So those are different types of communication. What, and, and again, in the context of authenticity or even transparency, what I don't want a pilot to ever say, and I've never heard one say, and I hope I never do, is to come on freaked out and say, oh my gosh, this is the worst turbulence we've ever seen before. I don't know if we're going to make it. Even if that's true, I don't need to know that right in that situation because that's not going to help me feel safer on the plane, but I do hope that after they get off the microphone to give us an update or a warning or whatever, they're saying to each other, if it's really bad, this is really bad. We need to figure this out. We got to dig deep. I'm scared. I've never seen it. Like, so there's some level of authenticity and even vulnerability that they may have with each other that they don't necessarily need to communicate to all of us, at least not at that moment until we're in a safer place. So authenticity is not just uh, a one one and done kind of thing. It's not something you do uh, uh, in every environment. Sometimes you might need to wear that little uh, mask for just a minute to to, yeah. to create safety, and then come back to authenticity. To honor honor the role that we're in. When my wife and I get into a fight, I don't need to share all the details of that with my 15 and 13 year old daughters because, like, that's for my wife and I to work out. And we're pretty open and transparent as a family. But it's like mom and dad have to have mom and dad conversations sometimes, <laughs> and then right, we exactly. have family conversations, and those are different, you know? Right, exactly. All right. So we're going to take another break right now, but we'll be back in just a minute uh, with more from Mike Robbins, so stay tuned. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Things Worth Considering. Featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis 
is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in each week for Advancing All Women, hosted by Sarah Alter, the President and CEO of Network of Executive Women. Hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics for women in the workplace. From advancing women of color to developing and engaging male allies to how to navigate the new workplace post-COVID-19, Sarah will cover it all as she and her guests dig into these key issues. Listen every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today to Mike Robbins, author of the book, We're All in This Together, about creating a team culture of high performance, trust, and belonging. So we've been having a really great conversation till now, and we're going to move forward a little bit more. One of the things you talk about in the book that I think is just so huge is belonging. And uh, mm-hmm. we, that old paradigm is that belonging is something that should happen only in your personal life. It's not something you should bring with you to business. You shouldn't expect to belong in a business organization. And inclusion mm-hmm. is a little bit different than belonging. So I want to yeah. say, how, how can a large or small organization focus on belonging? Well, I, look, I mean, I think it's important to realize, you know, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy – you know, it sort of starts at the bottom with physiological needs, then it goes to safety needs, then the third sort of spot along up the pyramid is, you know, belonging. And then you get to esteem and self-actualization. Um, and when I ask this question, Andrea, like sometimes I'll go to work with a group or a team or an organization where there's a lot of eye rolling and there's a lot of kind of this is all BS. Who cares? Let's just work. It doesn't, right? You know, which I, right. I understand and I appreciate cynicism while I understand and have space for is challenging. Skepticism to me is actually really healthy and I appreciate healthy skepticism. But when I ask the question, think about the best team you've ever been a part of in your professional career. Tell me about that team. What were some of the qualities that made that team so great? The things that people say, Inevitably, it does not matter where I am in the country or the world. It does not matter how big or small the organization is, the industry. It does not matter. People say basically things like, we really believed in what we were doing. We had each other's backs. We were passionate about it. We cared about each other. You know, I mean, it's all of these things. There's a sense of, I was part of something bigger than me. 
and I both enjoyed it and was challenged by it and really valued being a member of that team, whatever the team was. That's belonging. They're talking about the word. They may not use the word, but but it's like I felt like I was part of something. And Mm -hmm. ultimately, any team, small or large, that's going to really have people, you know, in the, in the business world, there's a buzzword that's been used for the last 10, 15 years, engagement. Engagement, it's what they do surveys on this. It's like a big, really important metric. How engaged is your are your employees, right? It's kind of like, what does that actually mean? What it really means is people care about the work and they feel like they belong to something that they want to belong to. And... I mean, look, we see a lot of even negative examples of belonging in our country and in our world right now where people's need to belong sometimes is so strong, it's almost tribal and visceral to the point where we won't even pay attention to facts or science or to feedback or to anything. It's like, I just want to belong Mm -hmm. to this group. I mean, you look at a lot of research that's been done on gangs and other sort of crime groups, and what you find is that a lot of kids that get involved in these things, they're not stupid. They know exactly what they're doing. And the need to belong is so strong. I want to belong so much so that I'm not even as concerned about breaking the law or putting my life in danger because I'm going to feel safer as part of this group as opposed to just being out on my own. And so I say that, and that's a pretty extreme example, but inside of organizations, if we can look at Look, inclusion is super important, and we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion, but inclusion is still based on the paradigm that there's an in-group and an out-group, and the in-group needs to invite the out-group in to be included, which is better than being excluded, clearly. But I was talking to Eric Severson, who's the chief human resources officer at Neiman Marcus, who um, happens to be, he's male, he's white, but happens to be a member of the LGBTQ community. He said something really interesting when I interviewed him on my podcast. He said, look, if you talk to most of us who self-identify as a member of one or more non-dominant groups, we're, right, as you and I were talking about before the break, right, Andrew? He said, right. most of us, I've talked to enough people, if you ask us whether we'd rather be included than excluded, I think most of us would rather be included than excluded, clearly, and most of us have had experiences of being excluded, and it's painful, but really if we go deeper and you talk to most people, we just want to know that we belong here. Yep. Irrespective of where we came from or our background or what we look like or how much experience we have or all the things. And so it's easier said than done, but really focusing on creating an environment of belonging is important. And here's the other part. When I talk to people about some of these issues and they'll say, well, I don't understand that, or I don't have that experience, or you know, I, I don't know what that means, or I don't know how to talk about it, or that's really sensitive. I say to them, have you ever had an experience in your life where you felt like you didn't belong? And of course, every human, no matter what they look like, has had that experience. And then I'll say, have you ever had an experience where you felt like you did belong? And everybody's had that experience as well. I was like, so that's a very basic and important human experience that we've all had, both the belonging and the not belonging, So let's use that as a way to find some common ground and do anything and everything we can to create an environment where everyone here feels like they belong. Because if you do that, it's not just some warm, fuzzy, touchy-feely thing. It's actually going to have people perform better, stay longer, engage more, commit to what they're doing. And if we don't do that, people are more likely to leave or just kind of mail it in. Yeah. Yeah, the research really does show that 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 high performance is a... a result of this kind of trust and belonging. Is that, yep. can you say something about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, and again, look, we're wired for love and belonging. We're wired for connection, as we know. And if you look at, again, I just, everyone listening, again, if I, I pose that question, do you think of the best team you've ever been a part of in your professional life? Or even if it was before professional life, it was back when you were in school, you were part of a club or a sports team or a church group or whatever. Like, if you reflect back on your favorite team or your best team, I would imagine while they are unique and different and diverse and a lot of examples, there was some element of you felt very clearly that you belonged and were a part of that team, a contributing member, an accepted and included member, a celebrated member of that team. And not only did that feel good, usually it feels good, it allows us to perform individually, perform collectively, and really do whatever we can to help each other out and want each other to succeed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, for years, I mean, I, as a former athlete and as a sports fan, I love watching teams where, you know, you can see things that happen there. I'm a basketball fan. I played some basketball in high school, even though baseball was my main sport. And watching our local basketball team where I live here, the Golden State Warriors, went on a five-year run where they went to the NBA Finals every year. And one of the things, and I wrote about this in the book, that I love, I mean, I'm a lifelong Warriors fan, so I was super excited because they were one of the worst teams in the NBA forever, and then all of a sudden they were the best, and it was very fun, and they're still pretty good, and they should have a pretty good year this year. But, but I would watch the bench, and especially when the starters were on the bench, not in the game. Yeah. And the, the, the star of the Golden State Warriors over this whole run is, this, is Steph Curry, who's their best player. And one of the things that I love about Steph Curry is he's won the MVP twice, He's won the scoring title. He's won three championships, but he operates and his mindset is so much like he's just one of the players on the team and it has such an impact on their culture. And when the starters are on the bench and the reserves are in the game, the starters are often cheering as loud as the fans are when the guys who are in there playing on their behalf, if you will, are, you know what I mean? And there's this level of cheering for and rooting for each other, wanting each other to succeed that's yeah. a sign of a great team. We want to win. We want to succeed. We don't care who gets the credit. We want everybody to be able to contribute in whatever way they contribute. And look, in, on a sports team, just like in a business, there are certain people whose roles and contributions are bigger and more important than others. Now, no one's more important than anyone else as a human, but the roles that we play are more significant than others. And I think most adults <laughs> can understand that. But I think what happens is, and one of the things I talk about in the book and in my work is the difference between recognition, which is about performance and outcome, and appreciation, which is about people. It's about valuing humans. Appreciation is important all the time, and everyone's deserving of it and needs it. Recognition is specific. It's finite. It's based on, it's conditional, as it should be. And if we separate these two out, what we can do is really create an environment where we care about each other we even love each other, but it's not conditional based on our role or our performance or what we just did or if we closed the deal or not. It's just based on that's a commitment that we make to each other because we value one another as humans and we know that's going to create the environment that's most conducive, not only for belonging, but ultimately for success and performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. I agree. And the same thing is true with the words like caring. In the old paradigm, uh, that word was reserved for personal relationships and right. business was just business, Joey. 
So, yeah. you, you know, it was like uh, that that was just not, you just didn't do that. But you're talking about high-performance team culture we can care about and challenge each other. So totally. some would say that would get too gooey for business. But but say a little bit about that before we close. You know what's funny? So I had I had my old baseball coach from Stanford, Dean Stotts, on my podcast a few years ago. And Dean's a great friend and mentor, but he's pretty old school, pretty conservative, pretty, you know what I mean? Just like, but he said this thing, Andrea, that was so touching to me. He said, Mike, my philosophy for coaching over all those years, he coached at Stanford for 37 years and had a ton of success. He since has retired. He said, I didn't usually say this out loud in those days, but here was my philosophy. I knew that I had to love you hard so I could push you hard. Mm. And I said, tell me about that, Dean. He goes, I knew for you and every other player I ever coached and all those teams I coached that if I was going to get the most out of you, if you were going to perform at the highest level, the first thing I had to establish was that I cared about you and I loved you. And it didn't even mean I had to like you. There were some players I liked more than others, but establish my care and my commitment to you as a human being. And if you knew that that was true, you would then give me permission, either explicitly or more implicitly, that I could push you as hard as I needed to push you to get the most out of you. And he's like, coaching is really an art more than a science. But he's like, I believe that whether it's a coach or a leader or a parent or just a human being, if we establish the love and the care first, then we get the permission to do the pushing and the challenging and the coaching and the things that need to happen for people to perform at the highest level. And I think now, Andrea, back to kind of circling back to the beginning of this conversation, I know we're just about done, is I'm encouraged because those kind of conversations are happening all over the place and they're not nearly as taboo or weird or scary as they used to be. And I just think that's going to continue. Yeah. Yeah, there's a big focus on mental health now, just culturally, yeah. um, and not not necessarily in business, but just in our culture with uh, with people like Prince Harry and and Oprah yeah. and lots of people like that coming out and talking about their own personal problems with mental health and and how that's factored into their uh, the challenges of life and uh, so that that I think that bring brings it back down as you, the term you used with soft skills that brings it back down to us developing some soft skills in our work yes. environment so that we can we can interact with others in a way that's uh, not only healthy for ourselves but also healthy for other people as well for sure and again another silver lining I think of COVID is that the mental health conversation has finally more specifically moved into the business world and people realize we can't ignore this this has been an issue for many, many years, but we thought we could keep it in the personal realm. It's now the lines between our personal and professional lives have blurred more than ever for better or worse. And we have to address it. Yeah. And that's something I so appreciate about the work you do. And when I teach workshops that uh, I'm trying to do it as well, that whole idea of, of bringing humanity into the workplace and, yeah. and not letting there be this just uh, sharp divide between what's personal and what's business. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we just have just a short little time. So can you briefly talk about what you mean by radical candor? <laughs> well, radical candor is really, there's a friend of mine named Kim Scott who wrote a book called Radical Candor, and it's based on this notion. It really is about the caring about and challenging. So it's being willing to first and foremost establish that we care about people, but caring about them enough to really talk directly to them. Because one yeah. of the things we have a tendency to do is just sugarcoat things or walk on eggshells or beat around the bush when we have some feedback or we want to challenge someone. 
<laughs> which actually doesn't serve anybody. And it's really an important thing that we learn how to embrace what I call in the book and in my work, sweaty palm conversations. Right. Those ones that are a little scary to have, but necessary. And yeah. again, if anyone listening thinks back to the people who've impacted your life the most, they probably had some radical candor with you that you appreciated, even if you didn't always love exactly everything they said. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you being on the show today. This has been a good conversation, and I really want to encourage everyone out there who's employed by anyone to get the book, We're All in This Together, and read it, because I think you will learn and grow as a result. So thank you for being on the show today, Mike. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back. Good to reconnect with you and your audience. Yes, yes, indeed. All right, so we'll be back again next Wednesday. And uh, remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week 